Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's installment of The Wonderful World of Wine. And we have a very special show for you right now as we are going into our spring holidays. And we've got a little bit of that smell of spring in the air. Not quite because it's New England and uh, March and early April are always a little tough around here when it comes to the weather. So uh, how are you handling the ups and downs of uh, late March, early April this year, Mark? We'll get through it, Kim. We'll get through it. It's it's New England. We complain when it's cold. We complain when it's warm. (laughs) We'll get through it. That's why there's wine. That's That's why why we we talk in wines. And that's why it's always nice that we have these little celebrations that we can uh, experience and talk about at these darker times of the year. But our show today, we wanted to talk to you about traditional Easter food pairings. And I'm going to throw in a little bit in there later about uh, some kosher for Passover wines that if people want to have a little bit of a special bottle with their Passover Seder this year, we've got some ideas for that as well. I always get excited when uh, we talk food and wine, Kim, because you're the foodie and I always have a million questions for you and I'm not the foodie. I'm, I'm I'm the wine guy. I'm not food guy. But when we're talking parents, I always have a bunch of questions for you. So I can't wait to uh, bring those up and bring all this Easter pairing ideas to our listeners. And, th- and I love holidays and I love food traditions with holidays and just think putting a little bit of wine on the table, you know, it makes it special, especially for people who aren't everyday ordinary wine drinkers. So when you know you you plop that nice bottle on the table and it doesn't have to be expensive, just something that's a little bit different and goes really nicely with the meal, you really can elevate that meal to a a, a real nice celebration and uh, and open something special. That's where I wanted to start, Kim. You mentioned traditions. My first thing I had to ask you, comparing Easter, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm. I see Easter, very similar in food pairing to Thanksgiving with one major difference, the sides. And then I think Christmas is totally different food pairing because it's usually heavier foods like beef or steak or roasts, whereas Easter and Thanksgiving, it's there's a lot of ham involved. So I always compare those. But the only difference to me is it's not really pairing on the sides. So I wanted to get your kind of feedback on that. I think it's really interesting that that is your perception of it because mine is completely the opposite. Always. Well, let's hear it. (laughs) We knew that was coming. So my perception of these three holidays. So these are really three of the biggest, let's say, American uh, Christian leaning people holidays. But wine pairings too, and and wine pairings. But Thanksgiving, I feel like has more of the weight of the tradition of the meal, like it is based around the turkey. Like you can't have Thanksgiving without turkey unless you're a vegetarian. But if you're not a vegetarian and you don't have a Thanksgiving day with turkey, there's a disconnect, I feel like there. Whereas Christmas and Easter, and maybe because they're religious holidays or maybe because they're, I feel like there's more flexibility on those two holidays based on 
maybe your ethnic identity, maybe based on where your family came from generations ago. Like Thanksgiving is uniquely American and it's it's that turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, stuffing. And yes, there are regional differences across the country, but I feel like there's a lot more variability for the other holidays. So if you're Italian and it's Christmas and Easter, you might be eating something completely different than if you're German. If your family background is, you know, 150 years ago, your family came over here from Germany. Or if you have any other, if you are, maybe if your family is Mexican-American or if your family is African-American, you know, your food traditions are going to be very different based on those holidays. And I feel like the wine pairings for Thanksgiving are a little bit more uniform, like, right? Like it changes over time because tastes change and fads change. But I think there can be so much more variability with, with Christmas and Easter and with what people put on their tables. That's a great point because That's everybody, everybody has <laughs> your turkey on Thanksgiving. But like you said, I'm the Italian, I'm having pasta with it as well. And in Easter, I would assume everybody's getting a ham, but Mm-mm. they have their traditional other dishes on the side. I'm See, still I don't, pasta, I don't think that that's necessarily so. the case. Like I, what on, do you like, think is lamb? You think we're going to talk? I think lamb is dish, one of them. Lamb, although I think, I think lamb is a little bit more not an American dish for right. Easter. That's very English, very Greek. European, yeah. Greek. We see that in Australia as well. So, I mean, and I think a lot of that really comes down to that, you know, we don't eat a lot of lamb in the U.S. So I think in the place of lamb for Easter, often you will see roast beef. Like you mentioned before, we also see a lot of roast beef for Christmas. But yeah, I think that ham as a centerpiece, I'm still trying to decide what the heck I'm going to do. But I feel like that there's, at least for me and for my family, like you can change things up for those holidays. It's not strict. Like what is our main or our main roast going to be? Us on the side of- Probably mm -hmm. during COVID, I mean, Mm -hmm. we adapted all our holiday meals because we were basically alone. So- I, I'm sure that's the same with with this coming Easter. Yeah. So, but we, yeah. all the articles we researched to talk about the Easter pairings, the main dishes were pretty much standard, right? Ham, lamb, and maybe a fish or chicken. Or, yeah, there was a so. lot of discussion of fish, and I think part of that was that a number of the articles that we read wrapped Good Friday celebrations into the whole Easter weekend thing, which. Coming from a Catholic background, yes, on the one hand, okay, fine, it's Good Friday, it's a Friday in Lent, so you eat fish, but it's also a fast day, so (laughs) we weren't really eating on Good Friday. So I felt that that was very interesting because I'm like, you know, having a glass of wine on a fast day as someone who was raised fairly strictly Catholic (laughs) for most of my childhood, that was a major disconnect for some of these articles for me. So I got a little bit of a chuckle out of that one. Well, let's build up to the main dishes. Why don't we start okay. with some apps that yeah. uh, I saw an interesting thing that I'm not a fan of, but I saw an interesting deviled eggs. Mm. And I thought that would be good to talk about as far as a wine pairing with the deviled egg. And they were saying all along, eggs and wine pairings traditionally is not an easy pairing. Yeah. And yeah, when it's we a little think hard. of it, right, we think breakfast, we're thinking bubbly because it's a mimosa or something early in the morning. That's traditionally what wine you'd probably want to be chugging in the morning. And do you feel that 
uh, Bob Lee with deviled eggs is a good pairing? Absolutely. I mean, everybody knows for me that, you know, I feel like bubbly can go with anything, but there is something to the science of the food and wine pairing when it comes to something like deviled eggs, because egg yolks, very high in fat. It's that creamy texture. You've also got a little bit of mayonnaise in there, depending on your tradition. Maybe you have some mustard or some tuna or some capers or onions or like other things mixed in with your deviled eggs. A lot of good ideas there. And I feel like for anything that is a heavy, heavier, like on the fatty side of it, very savory kind of appetizer, you can't go wrong with something sparkling or something rosé. So either of the two of those, I think go really well. But I like this idea of deviled eggs as an appetizer on Easter, where you've got the symbolism of the egg. Right. Right. So, I mean, this is part of the whole like Easter thing where we've got, you know, dyeing the eggs and chocolate eggs, which we'll talk about chocolate a little bit later in the show. But starting it off with deviled eggs, like what an idea too, because the fruitiness balances the the Mm -hmm. creamy yolk Mm -hmm. to me and and definitely anything unoaked. You don't want to get something oaky, either oaky reds or whites, because it's going to really hurt the combination. But you could totally do an unoaked Chardonnay. With yeah, deviled eggs. And that was that was my immediate thought, besides the bubbly. Yep. Yep. You know, something that has richness to it, but also acidity and good flavor. So it's gonna cut through that fat and you're just gonna get this nice kind of flavor bomb on your palate. So any of those combinations. And I think what our listeners probably already know from listening to us for the last couple of years is that we rarely say that there is like a right pairing and a wrong pairing. Like there are a lot of right pairings. There are a lot of different ways that you can go depending on what you like to drink. So you might not like to drink sparkling wine or you might not like to drink Chardonnay, but we like to give you some options. So what you you do like- wine with deviled eggs right but we're just saying there is a pairing out there for because this is a wine show and that's you know, going to tell would, you, you know, what to try excellent with a glass of Michelob too so there you go <laughs> no beer talk in this show no beer talk. that's right we never talk about beer so do you want to yeah. talk about a side or you want to move right to main dishes um we can let's say on a couple of sides I saw a thing for potatoes. We always talk Mm -hmm. about potatoes. Red or white can go with potatoes. Red or white wine, I saw because of the body of the potatoes. And I don't have a problem with reds or whites with potatoes, Mm -hmm. no matter what it is. Yeah, I agree. And there's so many different things you can do with potatoes. Like just thinking of like all the amazing things that you can do with a potato. And then also those other dishes that potatoes are always a part of. So if you think of a plain starchy root vegetable, you kind of be like, yeah, yeah, I guess a white would probably go with that. But think about mashed potatoes and roast beef and gravy. Like that's a red wine, quintessential red wine dish. Stew with potatoes in it, red wine dish. But then you think of something like fondue, potatoes, cheese, definitely a white wine dish. So I, I feel like potatoes are one of those dishes that depending on what you have with it can go with like literally everything. I don't think that there's a bad wine to go with potatoes and you make them into French fries, back to champagne again. Yeah. So, and the key potatoes, for me with the complete potatoes for... is the, the creamy function oh, yeah. where you can find creamy style whites, like not oaked, but creamy style. Like, And you can also find creamier bodied reds. So mm-hmm. not oaky, not oaky again, because I feel it 
hurts the potato dishes. But but what's nice about that. potatoes and, you know, mashed potatoes or whatever you're going to use them in as your side is you don't have to worry about them either overpowering the wine or clashing with the wine. So often when we talk about Thanksgiving wines, we talk about, all right, you got the turkey, which is the centerpiece, but don't choose your wines based on turkey. Choose your wines based on what your other flavors are. Do you have earthy flavors or sweet flavors or a lot of greens and salads? Like how are you structuring the rest of the meal? And potatoes are just there to play nice with everybody. So they're one of the ones you don't really necessarily have to worry about. Although I think on the on the side of if you've got mashed potatoes that have a lot of butter, you know, butter or cream or sour cream or whatever in them, then you can lean a little bit more towards that creamy style like you were just talking about. But otherwise, I would say that potatoes are just such a perfect foil for so many different flavors of both other foods to go with and for wines. I'm so hungry now. I know I am too. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to get more information about myself, please go to franklinlickers.com. If you'd like past episodes, we're on SoundCloud and iTunes. We're talking Easter food and wine pairings. We've mentioned apps. We've mentioned some sides. Now, Kim, uh, you mentioned about structure of the meal. And we have to start with main dishes. We have to start with ham. So now my question about the ham and talking about the structure of the meal, is it based on if the ham is smoked, glazed, or extra salty, that type of thing? Would you think of pairing based on the style of the ham? That's an excellent question. I think for people like ourselves who pay attention to the little details of those things, and if you, listener, are one of those people who, you know, you really want to get into the the nuance of how your wine and your food are really working their magic together, then yes, you want to pay attention to, is this a smoky ham or has this been cooked with a maple brown sugar mustard glaze kind of thing, but Overall, I would say that that is a little bit less of a concern if you are just a casual drinker. Don't get so caught up in those minutia because yes, there's a big difference between a smoked ham and a cured ham versus a fresh ham. But I think the majority of people are not eating fresh ham for Thanksgiving. I mean, most of us are doing that spiral sliced pink ham thing, which are all a little salty have some sweetness to them, often will have a glaze or a spice kind of rub like cinnamon or cloves or or something like that. But I think overall, going with that general concept of that type of ham, I think is a smart way to approach it because yes, there are other types out there, but probably not a lot of people are you know doing a lot of smoking for Easter. So I, th- I think it makes sense to focus on just that main type and then talk about general, you know, wines that would go with those things, which for me, oh, it's always, and I don't know if you agree, but Pinot Noir seems to be the uh, ham pairing extraordinaire when it comes to red wines. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that because you were saying the overall or the traditional for the casual wine drinker in the past has always been whites, mm-hmm. uh, Riesling, Gewurztraminer, reds, always Pinot Noir. That, that's right. the classic you know, pairing with ham. So 
why does it work so well? To, to me, it's low tannin. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fresher fruit, a lighter berry. And it's not, to me, it's not dried fruit profile of a wine. Yeah. So, I was going to say it's a tradition for a reason because it works. You know, it's a pairing. Right. It's a pairing that works. I think you are totally spot on when you say that those lower tannins definitely help, but it's also that it's slightly higher in acid and is very refreshing. Like there are a lot of Pinot Noirs out there that have that real mouth-watering quality to them, which when you have something that's a little bit salty as your main course, makes everything taste better because all the flavors are just working together in your mouth. So if you have a more refreshing drink that has a little bit more of that tartness to it, it's helping balance out that saltiness of your main dish. And I'm glad you mentioned, I was walked right into my next question, Kim, <laughs> talking about salt. Salt. We always talk about pairing things based on either the flavor profile or do we do we go the traditional route? But you mentioning salt, to me now, I see a big trend, people talking more about salinity mm-hmm. in wine. Mm-hmm. You, you picked up on a, this too, huh? This is something yeah. that's been going on for a couple of years. Do you think it's a good idea to find a super salty wine to pair with a salty ham? Play so, on the salt to really bring out the salt in the ham to, to go for a less traditional white that has a little bit of a salinity to it. And our listeners are probably thinking, what the heck salt What's he talking wine? about with salty and wine? Believe me, totally. I'm with you because for years I always hear people saying I'm tasting salt, I'm tasting this salinity is this and that. And I'm like, what the heck? What? And then you start tasting and you really discover this. It's mind blowing for food pairing to me. So my take on this is that it's not that there are new styles of wine out there or that suddenly there are all these wines that we can taste this sort of saltiness to. I think we have altered our language. So say five, 10 years ago, maybe even more, there was a lot of conversation about minerality in wine, a really hard concept to wrap your brain around because who goes around sucking on rocks? Like nobody, we don't know what minerals taste like. Right. So, but the idea of everybody knows what salt tastes like, which is also a mineral. So I think it's that the language of wine tasting And the language around trying to make what we're tasting in a wine a little bit more approachable to people, and maybe it's working and maybe it's not, there's this definite move away from using the the word minerally and using the word minerality. And there's more towards describing it now as salinity and describing it as more of a salty flavor. So I don't think that it's that the wines have changed or that the flavors in the wines have changed. I think it's our way of speaking about them and describing them has changed. So I agree with you that there are a lot of wines out there that have that component to them. And as we explore more wines from different parts of the world that maybe are grown on different soils, I know, for instance, that a lot of wines that are grown on islands with a lot of volcanic soil or areas that have high volcanic soil in their regions do display this like real sort of funky, minerally burnt, sometimes salty flavor. So I think we're just changing the conversation a little bit and getting those sort of notes. And I think that it's easier for people to wrap their brains around because we all know what salt tastes like. We don't necessarily know what sucking on a little piece of granite tastes like. So I think salt 
and and saltiness is a bit more approachable wine speak for people who don't spend every single day thinking about yeah. what their wines taste like. That was a great explanation. Sorry, that I guess was if people urgent, but if people want to <laughs> follow trends and they could try this style wine with with your ham and you mentioned early Kim we have to talk and bring it back up this is where I feel rosé should be explored mm. right now's the time the 2020 vintage rosés are starting to hit the the shelves it screams spring right it's totally refreshing and it does pair very well with ham so hey like i tell people you know pink wine with pink food and yeah, ham is definitely point. a pink food so speaking of pink, pink food. foods what about let's move on to lamb can be pink. It can be. And I see people. <laughs> Depending I, it, on how you cook it. Yeah. It's, I, yeah. Well, well, I'm not a fan, but mm. um, again, do you consider how it's prepared, the glaze, or do you just tr- go the traditional route with, with lamb? No. Which is, um, again, is Pinot Noir, correct? No, absolutely not. Cabernet. You wouldn't? Oh, really? you need, definitely need something wow, heavier with we're, lamb. Because like, yeah. lamb is funky. Yeah. Yeah. Totally different. And wow. and I think that it makes a little bit more difference of how you prepare it. So when you said instance, funky, I, there was a lot in the past saying a gamey style gamey. wine. Yeah. So there so can to you, be a gamey style wine would yeah, be, um, you're talking yeah. maybe a Bordeaux, like earthy, funky, Bordeaux, earthy, funky. I think something French or something Spanish would also go very well. Those are styles of wine that are kind of all in the same family. So you need a wine. No, you need wine with some firm tannins because lamb can also be fatty. But I think it's one hand, you're looking for those textural kinds of things that are going on. So the tannins in the red wine go up against the fat in the lamb and they just make the flavors together so much more appealing. And the, the texture and the flavor of those two things in your mouth together, it's a one plus one equals three kind of an equation. On the other hand, I mean, and that's how I like to pair wine and food. And I know that for you, you pay a little bit more attention to the particular flavor profiles. So if you have a lamb dish that maybe is roasted with a lot of herbs, or maybe you've done on the grill, so you've smoked it, you might be looking for a Syrah or something that has those black pepper, smoky, maybe some herbal elements going on so that you can play off the flavors that way. So it's not so much a textural thing. It's more of an aroma and a flavor thing, but there are a lot of different ways that you can make lamb. We often will grill lamb for Easter. There's this wonderful recipe that we often use from Alton Brown, who was on the Food Network for years and years and years. It's a an herb rub that you rub on the lamb and then you roll it up and you put it on the grill. And it's really, really excellent. But in that case, I would definitely want a wine that has a little bit more of those herbal elements to it. So I would steer clear of, say, a California Cabernet, and I would definitely go to something Bordeaux ish but still oh, something thought, with firm see, tannins but I with those going to go to argentina there with oh totally cab, right yeah actually you really could do that argentinian cab that's a really good idea actually but there's that you know this is like just what i was saying like there's no right answer right. there's a lot of right answers so i think that people should focus on okay what is your you know what's your main course is it a heavier thing is it a lighter thing if you've got a heavier dish like a roast beef or lamb go for a red wine that has some firmer tannins to it if you're doing ham or turkey or roast chicken lean on the lighter end of things a lighter red like a pinot noir or a beaujolais 
or any of the myriad white wines that we have out there. You've mentioned fish earlier. Let's just Mm. uh, touch base on a fish dish. And I think, again, smoked, baked toppings to me plays into it, but Mm -hmm. all of them work well to me with a clean, crisp style wine, like a Savio Blanc, or my favorite would be like a white Bordeaux or a Chablis. Mm. I, I, I love that with any style of fish. Yum. I'm with you. I'll come over for dinner. There you go. Well, I'm not cooking. I'm just serving the, the wine. Yeah. And we... it, you know, when you've got like white fish like that, you do want to steer away from those heavier red wines because there is a little bit of a clash if you do those things together. So, you know, lighter fish, definitely, you know, you want to open up a bottle of uh, white wine with those. And don't forget the pasta. Don't forget the pasta. Yeah. That's right. For us Italians, anything, we've always got to have the pasta course. Anything with the acidity, classic Italian wines, I'm all set. You can keep That's the right. ham, you can keep the lamb. I'll be good. (laughs) And I just wanted to touch a little bit on some of the traditional foods that we see for Passover celebrations, which because they fall at the same time of the year as Easter, we, you know, sometimes tend to lump these things together. But Passover seders tend to happen the same week as Christians are preparing for Easter. And there are some really nice kosher for Passover wines out there. One of my favorites is a producer uh, from Italy, of all places, to produce kosher wines called Bartonura. So they make a really lovely Sangiovese from the southern part of the country. I th- believe it's from Puglia. You wouldn't ordinarily think that this was Sangiovese country, but that is a is one that I like uh, Everywhere is Sangiovese country. Oh, no, Italy. Sangiovese is just Everywhere. You know, fantastic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> especially to go with that pasta course. So if you're you know, celebrating Passover, but you also happen to be Italian, You know, those things really (laughs) can go together really nicely. Uh, But there are really some excellent wines coming on the market from Israel and from other places as well. So um, Yarden is one that's been on the market for a really long time that makes a really nice, I want to say gutsy Cabernet, like they make a, a fuller bodied red. And there are, you know, there really are more and more kosher wines on the market as Israeli wineries and vineyards really have started to come into their own in the last decade or decade and a half. Some new and interesting things that I think people can search out for whatever holiday you uh, celebrate. And as we know, you know, wine and food and family and, and, uh, and these celebrations go together. And hopefully this year with more people being able to obtain their vaccinations and COVID numbers going down, hopefully that holidays can be a little bit more festive in the springtime than we had in the fall and the winter. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com and more information about Mark at franklinliquors.com. So we've been doing our spring holiday food and wine pairing episode for you today. We've been talking mostly about Easter foods, uh, a little bit of Passover in there as well. And we've discussed apps and sides and main courses. And now, of course, Mark wouldn't be satisfied unless we talk about dessert. So it's Easter, chocolate, there's the eggs, there's the the bunnies, peeps. The the Easter bunny is not bringing (laughs) wine, Kim, but is bringing sweets that we need to pair with wine and help our listeners pair. And I had a list and I, I want you to pick a couple 
to talk about because mm-hmm. I want to see what your sweet tooth is leaning towards. You so, know, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to dessert wine. So let's see what you got. I had a few items. I had the Cadbury eggs, the chocolate bunny, the Robin <laughs> eggs, the Peeps, jelly beans, or the Reese's peanut butter egg. What mm. would you like to pair and talk about pairing? Let's go with chocolate bunnies. Chocolate bunnies. Now, is this a What's milk chocolate classic? bunny or a dark well, chocolate that's, bunny? That's what we have to talk about. Yes. To me, there's these chocolate bunnies out there that don't taste like chocolate bunnies. They taste like, I don't know, there's the inexpensive, I guess you could say, chocolate bunnies have a weird flavor to me. Are these the hollow ones? Well, they're hollow or solid, <laughs> but it just doesn't taste like good, rich chocolate. So to me, it's about the the good quality chocolate bunny. Yeah. You know, the so rich... I don't think we should waste our good wine on the cheap chocolate. Yeah. No, just eat that. Just yeah. eat that. Give Go to like a good kids. chocolate place and, kids. you know, get yourself a nice bit of Easter chocolate. Yeah. And then pair it with, to me, I love red wines that are un We talked the whole chocolate thing in the past. But with the chocolate bunny, something of a red that's got some aromatics to it, like like Tempranillos that are unoaked, something like that is where I would go with the chocolate bunny. And I'm going to go the opposite end of the red wine spectrum. Of course. Of and course. I'm going to go with something sweet and something rich and a little fruity. So I'm going to go with vintage port for this one. Nice. Yes. That works very well. Indeed. Very well. So what, what next, Kim? I, I think we have mm. to mention the Peeps because the Peeps, to me, it's all about sugar, right? These things are sh- so sugary. Sugar. And years ago, I had this, I wanted to make a drink recipe with Peeps. And <laughs> I, figured, really? <laughs> I figured Prosecco was hot. I'm going to incorporate a Peep into a Prosecco drink. And I put that Peep in the Prosecco thinking it would dissolve. Mm-hmm. And my God, Kim, this thing... It stayed solid and formed. The only thing that fell off was its little eyes. So my whole, I thought it would dissolve nicely into the sparkling wine. You get a little bit of sugar flavor into the Prosecco. Horrible. So don't, I really feel, do not pair it with Prosecco or anything that is dry. It needs to be sweet, like you were saying, with the chocolate. And I feel with Peeps, Moscato. Moscato di Asti, low alcohol with some sweetness play on the sweetness works good. I think the secret to all of these could be Moscato. Yeah. Because that was going to be my answer to jelly beans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree with that as well. But the jelly bean, you have to be careful because there's a million, if you get those Harry Mm. Potter jelly beans, they're all different (laughs) flavors. That's right. We don't want Moscato and and every flavor beans. But I was thinking like there's peach and there's lemon and there's toasted marshmallow and there's lime and strawberry. Yeah. Like any of those flavors do play very nicely with Moscato. You Not could, spinach and licorice, but you, know. you could do a whole tasting based on jelly beans because I bet you could. You're right. There's there's yeah. the citrus ones and you mm-hmm. could go crazy with that. And if you have like the cherry and the strawberry and the blueberry and all of those, brachetto which is Moscato's sort of red wine sister style up from the north north of Italy. Be fantastic with anything like that. Works great. Yeah, definitely. Any other dessert? The Reese's peanut butter egg, I was going to bring mm. up my peanut butter and jelly theory of mm-hmm. wine and, and chocolate. You like Amarone with those, don't you? I would. I would, I mm-hmm. would try that. Definitely. Something that has a, you know, so-called grapey quality to it. 
I think works well. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I had to ask you, Kim, is we always search out or research when we're going to talk about a, a subject. One of the things I Googled was, tell me what are mistakes being made at Easter for pairings? Oh, that's a fun question. You know, there was nothing out there. Not mm. one Google hit on mistakes on Easter pairings with wine. Well, I think this just how to pair with wine. goes to show that it's a lot easier to have a pleasant pairing than it is to really mess up. Yeah. So, see, so I think that yeah. this is a, you know, a good takeaway is that most whatever you're going to have on your table is going to be fine. Like there are going to be some really, really wonderful pairings where you like, you put those two things together and you're like, wow, like this is really something special. But overall, I mean, you're not going to ruin the meal by honestly putting really anything on your table. If you like to drink it and your guests like to drink it and you're not making anybody feel uncomfortable because you're, you know, like us and talking about wine all the time, it's the people you're with, it's the atmosphere and wine is there to help improve the... It, well, in we past say? years, Kim, that was a, would be a good point because you'd have people over, maybe yeah. you didn't want to serve them anything good or you could but buy But this year, maybe anything. it's just your, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's just your definitely. nuclear family. So Think break out the good it. stuff. Yeah, definitely this year, think about what you're having. Think about the experience you can have pairing it with a special wine uh, that, you know, ideas we mentioned to you and be surprised how it really does work when you pair things and the match is phenomenal. Right, Kim? That's a really nice silver lining for it. Thank you for listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. We're airing every week on Franklin Radio, WFPR 102.9 FM. And then you can find all our past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. If you're wondering where we put all these articles that we talk about, we can be found on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine and on Twitter at Wine Education. Cheers. Bye.